Under the crimson primordial sky, surrounded by the jagged rocks of the ancient volcanic mountain, the wretched warlock reached into the dark embrace of the fissure until his hand touched a smooth glassy surface, cold as ice. His fist closed around the serpent's eye. Slowly he withdrew it and held it before him in the fading light of the blood-red suns. It glowed from within, a ghostly emerald light, strange and eternal. Ooh, I've got shivers down my back. That was great. Emerald Litten. Hello, listener. You're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the Card Game. And this is an extra special episode because this is our 100th episode and it's also two years since we started the podcast. So we're here to celebrate. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Much better than the last two years. <laughs> You're just always improving. Yeah, yeah that's it. On a steady upwards trajectory. That's really good. I suddenly had this fear that you were going to prank me and not be on the other end of the line <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Would it be Lovecraftian if I'm just left going, Peter? Are you? Are you okay? Yeah. Peter, but he's been dead for tw- for nice ten intro. years. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. I enjoyed that. That was really cool. What was that from? That's from Mandy, one of my favourite films nice. at the moment. I'm sure it'll change. It's, it's slightly nice. relevant because it stars Nicolas Cage, who it has been recently announced will be starring in a film adaptation of The Colour Out of Space. Cool. Okay, that is slightly relevant. Yeah. Yes. I feel like in popular culture, the appetite for weird horror is growing. I think maybe it's that special effects can be done more cheaply and there's maybe more of an appetite for that kind of shiver-down-your-spine material? Yeah, potentially. I know there's definitely been... You know what's been a really common theme in in various horror things recently uh, is references to Dungeons & Dragons. I don't know whether it's like a kind of late 80s resurgence or 70s resurgence, but it Mm. seems to be popping up all over the place. Maybe it's that those people who were into Dungeons & Dragons and weird horror are now in positions of power commissioning at netflix and yeah or, or, or directors and, and producers exactly yeah yeah they can kind of lean into that i think also that the success of the cthulhu board games and probably computer games now tied with the success of stranger things just it means suddenly the market's hot for that kind of stuff yeah yeah so what are we doing to celebrate two years and 100 episodes peter well i'm kicking back with a beer and uh, I'm not in my usual uniform. Frank was very kind and he said I didn't have to wear my uniform for this recording session. So that means you are wearing trousers for once. Finally, yeah. God, my legs <laughs> were freezing as well. Yeah, because you insist on recording outside, which I always find very strange. So. Just to pick up the ambience of the wind and the rain here in Scotland. <laughs> sort of hunched over a campfire. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, in the forest. It, I mean, for a start, it would be nice just to, to have a bit of a chat. Me and you, kick back and reminisce about about the last year in Arkham. Uh, and then I think we've, we've got some more questions mm, yeah. that we're going to try and answer as well. It's like a little Christmas for us when we have the mailbag filled with questions. That's right, yeah. So yeah, Frank, how's, how's the last year of Arkham been for you? It's been good. Yeah, it's been okay, I think. I've loved seeing how the game's changed, and I think over the last six months we've had probably our first big hurdle in the game, which is people feeling that they need to express negativity about how the game's going and what's happened and whether or not they're enjoying themselves. And broadly speaking, I think that's been really healthy for the community to think about 
what's worth sharing or not sharing and what they want to get out there. And I know that sounds maybe sort of slightly bleeding hearty to say I think it's good and healthy, but it has made me think a lot about what's the point in playing this card game and how do I get enjoyment from it and what do I really enjoy doing. And weirdly enough, I think Drawn to the Flame has been at the centre of that enjoyment. It's been the thing that I've really enjoyed doing, the community around this podcast, the kind of ethos that we've inadvertently built up around celebrating it and looking for the things that we like about it has just continued to fulfill me. So yeah, how about you? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been an action-packed year. Did I say year or six months when I asked you a minute ago? You said year, and I immediately... Okay, good. My memory isn't good enough to... <laughs> what, what were we doing at year one? Like, it was still Carcosa, right? Yeah, it must have been, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, what was quite exciting was that over the last year, we had a handful of articles upon uh, FFG's website, didn't we? Mm, yeah. We did some faction overviews, and we did an introduction to deck building, and pretty um, pleased with both of those. I think the deck building one especially, I know a few people have found it really useful. People coming to a deck building game from board gaming, rather than coming to, to Arkham from other card games uh, i think they can be a bit lost so for us to have that article there and when i see people asking i can send that article to them and hopefully it gives them a head start then yeah that, that's been really positive really positive i've liked the forgotten age because it's been a really different feel to the other cycles so far i think that's been really good uh, yeah, yeah. And less just, spooky, more snaky. Yeah, and like more pulpy, more actiony. Uh, it's not just the same. Maybe people have got this idea of Arkham in their head as being exploring a spooky old town. It doesn't have to be that like that. It can be, you know, traipsing around the jungle, blundering around the jungle, capering around the jungle. Exactly, All of those yeah. good things. Yeah, they, I'm glad you mentioned the articles. They were a real reminder to me of the breadth of the community. I think that's the other thing that. It's quite easy to think of the community as a very small, coherent group, but it's really huge. And writing articles like that was a reminder that we can try and talk to people of all different skill levels. And, you know, the the high level deck builders who are only playing on expert can roll their eyes at those kind of articles. But, yeah, there's a whole host of people who find the whole thing confusing. I actually have a friend who owns the game and has never played it. And he said that one day I can show him how to play and we've just never, never arranged it. But he opened it and went, I don't know how to even start with this. He doesn't have any of the vocabulary around asset, event, skill, or even, you know, encounter card, investigator card. Like he can't, he can't play a card rather. He can't pass that stuff easily. So one day I'll sit down with him and show him how to play. And that, yeah, that to me, I think is really healthy to remember that there's all sorts of different people out there. Yeah. I think for me, one of the things I maybe was, I've never said this to you before, Frank, but when we started, I was always kind of dubious about how well a podcast like this would work for a cooperative card game. One which doesn't make you go and engage with a meta and, and engage with other people playing the game that you could, mm. you can even just play it solo. And I wasn't sure whether that was the kind of thing there would be as much of an appetite for us for a comp competitive game. But actually, we've had loads of correspondence from exactly those people, people who sit around the kitchen table playing with their kids. Yeah. yeah. Or even playing the, by themselves. It's the kind of the mass of the iceberg, right? The unseen, silent part. But yeah. they reach out. Yeah. Thanks if you're one of those people who's reached out. I like how you, you referred to the bottom of the iceberg as being the silent bit, as if the top part is really loud. 
Yeah, the top part is like whistling in the wind, <laughs> kind of singing. The, the party tip. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's got like the sort of thumping bass. Yeah. <laughs> and the bottom is silent and going like, oh, the neighbor's upstairs. It's so loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how. Do you not conceive icebergs in that way? Yeah, anyway, if you're one of those people who's messaged us and doesn't, doesn't go to invocations or things like that because you're busy or there's not one near you, that's really cool of you. Thanks for taking the time to message us. Really appreciate that. I think the other thing that happened in the last year was um, maybe about a kind of solidifying about the kind of content we want to offer, which I really like just for my own mental health to know what we're doing. There's the first looks and I'll always try and get a guest to do a first look with me if I can. And then there's our kind of discussions and investigator specific episodes and also our law episodes, which I think have been really popular. And if I can get you to do unboxings with me, that's always amazing. And then there's also been the Think on Your Feet episodes that I think have been pretty popular as well. But for I think for different reasons and probably have a different audience because, yeah, they're definitely not tutorials of how to play, but people seem to enjoy listening along and want to listen along to someone blundering their way through scenario after scenario so yeah so it's nice to have all of those things all of those irons in the fire fingers in the fire irons in the pies that's how you say it yeah 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 yeah. if you need your pie to be a bit flatter then you yeah exactly what's happening next with the podcast well the immediate concern is arkham in flames which is our big event coming up at the beginning of march 9th and 10th of march Mm, yes. And if you do not have tickets, go and buy them. Yeah. Because it's going to be a great time. We're going to do the labyrinths. We've got other stuff running. We're going to do a quiz. Uh, cool Arkham people will be there, which is all of them, obviously. Should we announce some stash now, Peter? Yeah. Uh, go on, Frank. What, what, what stash do you want to announce? Well, we've been hard at work trying to organise things to add value to the ticket price. And we think that there's going to probably be special token for all attendees if not tokens and alt art cards not ffg official alt art cards i'm afraid unless we can wangle that in the next month but alt art cards nonetheless am i forgetting something else yeah what we're hoping to have is this is a minor one but it's good fun we'll have the poster Mm, so the the art which was designed for us for the for the logo uh, for not for the logo uh it's by the logo designer Mm -hmm. the image we got to advertise the event. We're going to put those on posters and everyone who comes will get one of those as well. Oh, yes, of course. That's a really good idea. And then finally, really generous members of the community, we have been donating various things to the prize pool. So there's going to be a host of prizes. We'll have a think about how we want to give them out. You know, maybe best griefing, most <laughs> investigator kills on the day or other kind of atrocious things like that. We, we You know, we could do, Peter, just thinking off the yeah. top of my head. Teams could compete to see how deep in depths of Yoth they could go. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. On standalone, because there's no end in standalone. That could be really fun, like a high-end challenge. Prizes for the the deepest, prizes for the first to be defeated, you know, all of that stuff. Anyway, we're going to have lots of stuff that we hope will mean that you get even more bang for your buck with your tickets. Yes. Really exciting. So take a look in the description of this episode, because the link for tickets is there. And keep your eyes on the Facebook page, because we're going to update... When we have swag and we have pictures of it, we'll put them on the Facebook page as well so you can see. Yeah, very exciting. None of that could have happened without our Patreon, which we also last launched in the last year. And we thought before we dive into questions for each other more fully, we would do some patron questions as well. A bit of a mailbag episode just to celebrate those 
fun questions. So, the first question, Peter. Here we go. Martin writes, if you built a deck for a campaign, work your way through one or two scenarios and realise your deck would probably be running a lot more smoothly if you picked four or so different level zero cards, like you should have added scavenging and fire axe to a min deck, ahem, would you rather spend four XP to exchange those level zero cards or find a way to build forward with the cards you originally chose? This would probably apply mostly to a character you haven't used before. Okay, so uh, I'll speak out to the listeners here, and Frank, you can stuff furious. Um, if I got through the first few scenarios of a campaign, or one of my friends who I was playing the campaign with, and the deck wasn't working, mm. and it wasn't a case of just a couple of cards, it was a central idea in the deck that wasn't working, I would just say rebuild it with the amount of experience that you've got so far. You're happy to house rule that? I'm happy to house rule that. That's not an official rule. And mm. I wouldn't do that on subsequent playthroughs. But the last thing I want is for someone to be coming to play through a scenario or th- play through their first play in the campaign and not be enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. That that that, that would be my position on it. it. It's a game we're all sitting down to have fun playing. So mm-hmm. if someone says, oh, well, I'm not enjoying this deck and it would take me two scenarios worth of play to get enough experience to make it what I want it to be. They're not going to have fun doing that, so I'll just say, yeah, fine, rebuild it. Yeah, uh, and that has—it's also happened on occasion where someone has forgot to note down what was in their deck. <laughs> yeah, um, and then we come to play the third scenario after after three months or two months or whatever it is, and they say, well, I've totally forgotten. I'll rebuild the deck from uh, what I remember, and then the amount of experience we got, and all of these new cards that come out in the <laughs> all of these new cards, yeah. yeah. But generally, I'd try and. I don't know. It's probably a mixture of the two, really. I'd be happy to swap out cards that weren't particularly working. But I would say for a blind playthrough of a campaign, uh, my first playthrough with a character, I'd stick to a generally useful deck. So I wouldn't be relying on too many key interactions that would take a long time to, well, build out if that's the way I was going. I don't know. Does that that answer make sense, Frank? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I just would say two small things. One is that when a new deluxe lands, normally within that cycle, there are going to be cards specifically aimed at those investigators. Matt's said that explicitly that that's the case. So if you dive in and make your fin deck, but it's before Lola Santiago's come out or Fence or Payday or whatever it is, you can wait a couple of packs and then go, oh gosh, there's loads I'd want to change here, which can be a bit tricky. So I'd bear that in mind. If you're diving into a new cycle with a new investigator, things might change for them. And then the other thing I just say is it could be a fun challenge to work out how much for change you're going to do. And maybe that's a bit of a needlessly optimistic position, (laughs) but maybe it is the kind of thing where you go, right, I think this deck isn't working. Because that's the other thing I suppose that we need to know is do you know for sure that the deck is failing or is it just an edge number of cards that aren't in there that you wish were in there? And are they key cards that you've missed out or are they just things that would be nice to have but it now isn't working for you sort of thing? So if you can make all of that evaluation within two scenarios, you're a lot more confident than I am about the game. I'm definitely a lot more circumspect where I'd go, right, I'm not sure if this deck's working, but I'll keep going and see what happens. But yeah, if you... If you're willing to call it as dead, then I say rebuild it. But if you aren't 100% sure, then embrace the challenge of finding out and see what the deck does do. You might discover something new or something weird, I suppose. Yeah. The other option is to just play Rogue and take two adaptable. Yeah, or play Survivor and buy Test of Will. 
Yeah. Spend your XP on XP cards that then give you a free level zero swap as well. And that applies to Min, which is yeah. the, the one Martin particularly quoted. Okay, yeah. next, next question. Next question. This is for Andy. Actually, I see why you've done this now, because this question is a good one for you. <laughs> uh, oh. With the Labyrinth events, so this is Andy asking this question. With the Labyrinth events, you've had a chance to see a lot of decks people were running. I was surprised to hear that there were folks running Exposed Weakness, or was it Anatomical Diagrams? It is. I assume you've added that it is to this question, Frank. <laughs> yeah. I was very surprised by Simon's Dark Horse Jenny. What surprising things have you seen? What cards that are binder fodder for you were in play in the Labyrinths, or was it much as you expected? I wondered if that might make a topic for discussion in the future. So let's make it a topic for discussion now, Frank. What yeah, unusual decks have you seen in the, event, in the events you run? Yeah, I've seen Dark Horse Jenny. I've seen... Attack ships think... on fire off Yes, the... that's just what I was trying to think of. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've seen... I've seen um, some people turn up with a load of proxied cards as well. Uh, recall the Future and Crystalline Elder Sign all proxied well ahead of time. So they were clearly the hotness and... I think of proxying more in competitive games to kind of get up to speed. I've seen an armor of Arden, Zoe. Yeah, I, I was just... about to mention this. Yeah, because I've never seen that. I've never put that in a deck and I've never seen anyone with it in a deck. But mm, Yeah, and it actually turned out to be really vital for Labyrinths. I wouldn't have thought it would be, but but it was really Didn't you see really another cool. unusual Zoe deck? I'm sure you've mentioned uh, this to me in the past. Yeah, I saw a Zoe stealth deck recently. <laughs> of course you did. Amazing. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't in Labyrinths, though. Sorry, Florian. <laughs> he was the first to admit it wasn't quite working as the way he thought it was working. <laughs> what else have I seen? God, it's funny how it all goes out of your head. I mean, Andy, who asked this question, ran um, a dark horse desperate duke that basically had no cards and no resources at all times. And he was just using Madame Labranche to keep drawing cards. Oh, it was a Yottle deck as well. So he was committing desperate cards, tapping with Yottle, getting the icons. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah, those are the main ones I can think of. I've not seen anything too crazy beyond that. I've seen some very rich Seth decks as well, like insanely rich, but I think that's par for the course. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of at the moment. Cool. Well, I've not run any events yet, so I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> Another question for you, Frank. If Zoe was preparing a soup, what would it be? And would Agnes serve it? With a nice crusty roll on the side. Yeah, why don't we have crusty roll as a card? The soup would be... Mm, probably something like minestrone that she's chopped up loads with her chopping knife because she's into chopping things the, the chopping knife yeah the chopping knife as yeah. opposed to the slicing knife yeah, yeah, yeah i think yeah. it would be minestrone or it would be something like a beetroot soup so it just oh, looks like a massive uh, tureen of blood but it's actually soup you've gone to- I-, I was thinking something seafood related seafood yeah because what because fishiness is next to godliness well, I don't know. There's maybe even a sinister implication that that's where the monsters end up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it, is it, is it, is it really a, a lobster drink. bisque or is it a, is it a deep one bisque? <laughs> wow. She's like hiding the bodies that she smote. Yeah. And certain people. Nice. Here's a question from another patron, Glyn, which, I mean, these are all from patrons because they get to ask the questions. Which Arkham Files investigators would you like to see in future expansions 
how would you envisage them working? Deck building rules, elder sign abilities, and so on. Wow, okay, this is a hell of a question. The one that springs to mind, the one I always used to play as in Arkham Horror was, uh, is he called Harvey Walters? Yeah. Is the old lad? The old lad, Harvey Walters. Yeah. <laughs> He's the, he works at, he works at the Miskatonic. Mm-hmm. And he was good at spellcasting, uh, but not very good at anything else. <laughs> so I would like to see him for nostalgic reasons. I don't know how he would work differently from Daisy, whether he's primarily a mystic rather than a seeker, because, you know, he's got that seeking knowledge, could be like mm. a reverse Daisy, or how he would also be different from Norman. I'm not sure. Yes, because his profession is the the professor. Yes, and his bio says that he got his master's degree in journalism from Miskatonic University. Is it him on higher education with the the Raven? Uh, oh, good question. I'm not sure. Oh, his personal story is called Higher Education in Eldritch. Oh, well, his ability go. in Eldritch is another investigator in your space improves one skill of his choice if your value for that skill is equal to or higher than his. So I suppose that's a kind of teaching yes. ability. That, okay. that sounds a little bit like Min. Yeah. With a sort of giving out the love. Well, that could be interesting. Could be a, like a seeker support style investigator, I guess. Yeah. Well, so he was one. Mm-hmm. I want to say he's not on Guidance, is he? I can't picture what the art on Guidance looks like now. He, he could be, yeah. Could be. That is a man. A bearded man. There's a few other... Uh, like, I've always been interested by... Uh, is it Trish Scarborough? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the spy. The spy. Because she's got a, in the original... How does she work? Is she in Eldritch Horror yet? Yeah, she is. Yeah, she was in the the box. How does she work in Eldritch? So in Eldritch, she's pretty well-rounded, and she has an action ability that says if you don't have any clues, gain a clue. And if you spend mm-hmm. clues for re-rolls, you get extra re-rolls. So she's sort of good at being lucky and can just truffle up clues out of nowhere. Mm, interesting. She makes me think actually a bit of like Joe Diamond. She's like good at getting clues, but also fighty. She starts with guns. So in the original Arkham Horror, how it worked was you had a track for your stats and they were paired. I can't remember how they were paired. And you, you had a, a marker you could move along those tracks. And as one of the paired skills got better, the other one got worse. Mm, yeah. But Trish had... Her paired stats got better the higher up the track you went, but she had a limited number of moves. So she could focus and be really good at two paired things every turn, was okay. how she worked. And and typically those the, the paired stats were ones that you, you might want to do both in a turn as well. So you always had to decide what you were going to do. So she I think she was like quite flexible and could flip modes quite easily and quite quickly. That's my memory maybe she, anyway. Maybe she'd have like rogue access then. Could she be seeker rogue or rogue seeker? Maybe. She's got a, yeah, a kind of fightiness to her, but also a, an adaptableness to her. Anyway, those are the ones that jump out for me. I don't know whether you've got any particular investigators you want to mention. Um, no, I think that's that they're, they're good ones. Yeah. Who was I excited about for Circle Undone that we didn't see in the end? Oh, Daniela Reyes, but I don't really know anything about her. The mechanic. She's the mechanic, yeah. yeah. She's been on a few cards so far, so it wouldn't be a surprise to see her relatively soon. Mm, yeah. And she seems to be strongly tied to the, the Survivor faction in terms yes. of the card she's appeared on. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
it was her or Rita, wasn't it, that we'd see, but we saw Rita. So, yes. Oh, of course, there is someone I'd love to see. Jacqueline Fine, the psychic. Oh, yes, the psychic. Yeah, yeah. she's super cool. She could be Mystic Seeker, I guess. It's funny, there's a, probably a theme here of Seeker cards <laughs> popping up. I, I don't know why. I think she's just really strong in Eldritch Horror, to my memory anyway. And I just think she's really fun as a character. Yeah, so she could be a kind of person who's... Um, making prophecies and playing premonition and things like that. I have no idea her <laughs> deck building or elder sign though. Yeah, we we should do a whole episode on planning future investigators. But <laughs> yeah, I find them um, funnily enough. I sometimes don't want to engage in those conversations too much because I think it's a really delicate balance, isn't it? Getting an investigator right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want new investigators to be so powerful that they overshadow old investigators, but the game is developing and growing and you need to provide new challenges for players. So, yeah. I've never been disappointed when we found out the deck building of particular investigators. And and quite often I wouldn't have been able to predict. I don't have the imagination that Matt has when he's designing these. So I'm happy to leave it to the professionals. Do you remember how complicated we thought Leo Anderson would be? And then it was just Guardian and Rogue and we were like, oh... And then that still proved to be a fascinating pairing just because of the way he interacts with allies. And yeah, really cool. Right. Well, we'll move on. We have another question with a different Andy. And I'm asking this to you, right? Mm-hmm. Now, these, these two questions are quite similar. So maybe I'll fire them both at you one after the other. What do you think? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So Andy asks, what playstyle mechanic or deck archetype would you like to see developed further or get more support in the circle and done? Mm, okay. Playstyle mechanic or deck archetype. Actually, this, you know what, this, it, it dovetails quite well with his next question, which is what cards or builds are crying out for uh, a few pieces to make them more viable? And if so, what kind of card might make them work better? Mm. I mean, Joey the Rat, right, is crying out for a for a rich investigator who would prefer to spend resources rather than actions to play items. Yes. I think actually, just following that line a little bit further, anything to do with backpack and playing with items, I found can be fun in Yorick. And then for almost any other investigator, I find it kind of crowds out the rest of what my deck's trying to do. And then my deck grinds to a halt. So I'd love to see some way of playing with items and using items, getting them into play, maybe maybe making Joey the Rat a useful or interesting addition to that deck that isn't simply like spitting out items for the fun of it. Or maybe Joey the Rat is just always going to be for those weird, super resource-rich decks that just like sort of never spending actions for things. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Are there deck archetypes or playstyle mechanics you want to see developed further? Well, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Finn and that there's potentially a fence deck you can Mm. build with him using illicit cards. And I I would really like at some point to see a a wider range of illicit cards to boost the the effect of fence. Uh, I think that could be cool. So, So cards, what we'd want to see is a lot of the well, I think all of the weapons are illicit, right? All of the rogue weapons, yeah. All of the rogue weapons are illicit. And then there's only a handful that aren't weapons, but which are still useful. So some other ones to support, like, a whole deck, maybe some movement cards that are illicit, 
I don't know how that works, but um, and some draw cards. And the the movement one would cards. be like self smuggling, and you like climb into a crate and put the lid on yourself, and then two goons turn up and carry the crate with you in it. Yeah, yeah, or like a <laughs> um, like a sneak the dorm and a a, a dollar oh, yeah, to yeah. get in somewhere. You know? Oh yeah, bribe door bribes. Yeah, yeah. So I think that'd be good, but obviously in the circle and done. Our rogue investigator doesn't have access to illicit cards, so mm. I'm not so convinced we'll see a huge number of those this cycle. It'd be a nombo, yeah. I'd actually, I'd love to see for Guardian maybe some more defensive cards because we know that they like protecting and healing. Well, heroic rescues there and dodge, I suppose. I think a lot of Guardian decks recently I've seen have just gone down this pretty narrow route of kill things as quickly as possible. And maybe if there was a reward for getting hit by enemies or something like that, that could be an interesting style to lean into. It would maybe boost the utility of healing cards a bit more because you'd be getting awarded for taking damage and horror. I suppose that's Calvin to a certain extent, though. Yeah. He, he likes getting hit. And the other one that is, is sort of springs to mind for me is is the kind of auto-success build, um, which I think would work particularly well with Preston. Mm. So do you mean just more up. cards that do things automatically? Yeah, so so you know cards that cost over the odds, but then guarantee an effect regardless of you know maybe you don't even draw a token to trigger the effect. So you know things like stray cats or will to survive or mm. Lola Santiago. That's just made me think that maybe maybe he'll pay pair well with Rita if Rita does the evading and he does the sneak attacking. Yeah, quite possibly. Yes, you just yeah. He follows around stabbing, paying his goons to stab people in the back. Yeah, just throw money at the problem. Anyway, next question. I wonder if, just before we move on, is there more to be done with Seal? I felt like we only touched the tip of that iceberg in terms of Seal. Like, it, Seal hasn't reached the point where you wouldn't take Shriveling or Rite of Seeking. You'd still probably take the core of a Mystic deck and then a few Seal cards. I'd love to see Seal become almost a way of entirely locking down the... Not entirely locking down the Chaos Bag, but locking down the Chaos Bag to such a degree that that makes up for the relative underpoweredness of the rest of your deck. But maybe that would be too strong. Maybe no one would play anything else after that. I don't know. You can see... Well, I'm so bad at these predictions because I'm then really cautious and go, (laughs) well, but maybe that would be too strong. I think what we might see is Matt circling back to Seal in a cycle or two. Mm -hmm. Because obviously he's... He must be playtesting the cycle after the circle undone, right? Or even the one after that? Further on, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now he'll be getting the reports and the feedback from those cards that are public and lots of people are playing with. Uh, So it'll give him a better idea of what people are doing and and the reception of Seal. So he can maybe work that into a future cycle. So I think we'll see that coming back at some point. And finally, a question from... Gary, what card do you think is criminally underrated among the Arkham community? We all have our favourite bad cards. I'm looking at you, Cookery. But what card do you feel others are overlooking too often? This is a, and this I is just a can I just put a little asterisk on this? On. I wonder if if we should stop talking about the Arkham community and start talking about the Arkham communities and the way that there are actually different pockets of discussion for this game. And some people are involved in all of them, but other people are only involved in 
certain places and certain discussions, you know, whether that's someone around their kitchen table or someone who's only on Facebook. Yeah, just a just an idle thought there. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know. It's a difficult question, this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't run through all of the cards I've got. Uh, I've always... It's, well, okay, I'll, I'll say it's interesting to see the return to packs circling back to cards which weren't as pl- weren't played as often and giving mm. them a new lease of life. And I must admit, I haven't had much of a chance to go through all of those cards that have been upgraded. And I think there's certainly niches for some of them. Mind Wipe comes... Um, yeah, Mind Wipe. Yeah, Mind Wipe 3. I was, I was going to say Mind Wipe comes to mind. Why? It feels like an, 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 odd, an, odd, an odd thing to say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that... That has certainly got its uses, especially when we've got enemies that have got vengeance. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, wiping an enemy with vengeance and then killing it to get it out of the way and it doesn't go into the score area. That feels good. It's back in the deck. Don't have to worry about it. The weird thing that's kind of a shame about giving those cards a new lease of life is that it doesn't actually give the original weaker card a new lease of life. It just does a new version of it that makes people reconsider. Like Blackjack is unless the prime it was... example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mind, it was... oh, Mind Wipe is the only interesting one where you might use Arcane Research to save yeah. the... You pay 2xp for the level 1 version and then use your free upgrades with Arcane Research to get level 3 version very cheaply or for free. Free, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is that. And... Yeah, I, I I appreciate that's an issue, but I'd rather there was another crack at those cards, even if it costs experience, just so we see those kind of effects in the game. Mm, yeah, and I suppose Gary's question is slightly different from that. It's not which of the cards like Blackjack that are underrated, but the ones that we think maybe people should look at a little bit more. I mean, I think Cheap Shot might sneak in there. Well, I'll t- I tell you the card I think... I really want to look at at some point when I've got some spare time is knuckle dusters. Mm, yeah. I've always thought that that card maybe didn't get a fair shake because it's pretty much the only card which has an unconditional damage increase that doesn't use ammo. Mm-hmm. We've now got the time one brand, which also does a flat two damage, but yeah. that's five experience. Yeah. So knuckle dusters is, is the only one still just at the base level, right? There's nothing else has come out since then. That does a does a straight yeah. unconditional damage boost. I'm just scanning my databanks. I can't think of anything. No. Obviously, it's got a downside, but I'd be really interested to see someone build that into a deck. Maybe make a deck around it. Maybe it works. Could, with you, like could a... you have a Leo Anderson Knuckle Dusters deck? He's already got the base four combat, so that's good. He can boost up his combat really reliably with Guardian cards. And then if he gets retaliated against, his allies soak it for him. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Just kind of, yeah, like a no weapons, or a, I suppose it is a weapon, but like a two-fisted action hero Leo who's just punching people. Yeah. Or maybe if, like Finn, if he's boosted his combat. Yeah. Because he yeah. evade the enemy and then punch it afterwards when it can't retaliate. Yeah, yeah, that gets rid of the downside. Maybe if it was in a boom or bust Finn where you take a swing with knuckle dusters and throw in an opportunist, a quick thinking, a watch this, maybe a double or nothing for, for good measure. Yeah. And you're just, you're even though you're only starting at three, you're then swinging at seven or eight and getting a load of bonuses from it, maybe. I often think that's the best way to mitigate for the conditional damage in, in other rogue weapons is to just boost, boost so high and find ways yeah. of boosting high that aren't breaking the bank. And the other thing you could maybe do is 
if there was an investigator that came along that somehow it feels like a rogue effect could maybe ignore retaliate or re- ignore the the response um effects like retaliate and alert wow that could be cool yeah or maybe you have someone like um if michael mcglenn is a five combat rogue if we ever see him maybe he does damage if he gets retaliated against oh yeah maybe yeah, that yeah. could be his ability and that could be really cool to see where you then want enemies to have retaliate and you want to go and pick fights with them so you're running knuckle dusters. You don't need to worry too much about combat boost because you've already got a really good base combat. Like that genuinely could be so fun to play as that the way he fights with ghouls isn't keeping his distance and shooting them. It's like going up close and personal to them because he knows that in a scrap he's always going to get the last punch sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he'd have a reaction ability when an enemy attacks you, perform an attack against that enemy or something like that. So either he'd just be engaged with it or you would use retaliate enemies to to get an extra action that is a fight action against them. That would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like the sound of that. The only other card I can think of that I sort of like but I want to explore even more is all of the... Well, it's a group of cards. It's all of the evasion cards in Survivor because they're less directly about dealing with enemies so things like bait and switch or close call and i know recently i've said i've been really enjoying close call i think rita is gonna enhance the power of these cards anyway but i'd love to see them get their day in the sun where you could build a deck maybe with think on your feet bait and switch close call and enemies just are never near you you're just always moving around that could be fun yeah so yeah, that, that would maybe be good. Anyway, there's another couple of questions that I've got written in here from someone called Super Frank, and he's got a couple of questions for you, Peter. <laughs> uh, always love to hear from Super Frank. So the first one is, um, he calls it Desert Island Arkham, and he says you get to take two investigators and one campaign that you get to play for the rest of your life. What two investigators and campaign do you choose, Peter? Ooh. Out of the ones so far, it's got to be the Path to Carcosa. Mm. Mm. I think that probably stands up the most on replays because there's a lot of there's a lot to get out of that. There's a lot of options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the sound of that. And what investigates? So, so is it? It's just two, and I can play either both of them or or one of the investigators. Yeah, as much as I want. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I'll probably pick one of my favourites. And then one that's quite challenging because that gives me plenty of time to like try and do challenge runs. Mm, that's a good idea. So maybe yeah. like Daisy and Calvin. That's what I was thinking you'd pick. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I should have written, written this down. Yeah. Imagine doing a, getting a solo run of uh, an expert run of Carcosa with solo Calvin. That would be quite an achievement. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a lot of time to try it. So <laughs> you just learn the like perf- perfect path to do it. The perfect path, yeah. Perfect path to Carcosa. Exactly. Nice. Well, funnily enough, I had a question from, um, I don't know who we call him, Super Peter? <laughs> Heater, uh, Heater Popkins, yeah. Heater, Heater Popkins, yeah. Peter Clover. Questions for some, uh, some questions for you, Frank. Okay. Go on. What's the first so question? Hit, hit you with the first one. Well, it's quite similar, and we came up with these separately. So <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a complete coincidence. What? Three investigators would you take with you to a desert island? And in addition, what would be your book and your luxury? 
So these are real. So if you could take people to a desert island with you, this is the real investigators. Which, yeah. Oh yeah, which of the investigators would would you take? Uh, and the book is a tome, and the luxury is any item. Okay, nice. I love it. Well, I mean, straight away, I am actually thinking of Calvin because being stuck on a desert island is pretty bad, and so he'd probably be feeling really hyped and be really excited about it might be a good maybe <laughs> the more hungry he gets the like the the more hard he can fight <laughs> yeah exactly he's like chopping down trees with his hands just because he's so <laughs> pumped and he's like yeah able to sort of see through time because he's so so mad by it maybe yeah he would be a good shout who else i mean probably seth as well she could paint an amazing sos symbol on the beach and maybe on the side of the cliffs of this island that we're trapped on. Seth would be nice. Um, who else would I take? You don't want to take any of the like low sanity people, do you? Because you know that they'd crack fast. So that's like Roland's out, Zoe's out, Mark's out. Basically no Guardian. You definitely don't want to take Leo because you know that he would be the only person off the island. So yeah, who does that leave? Do I get Duke if I choose Pete? Yeah, yeah, you, you you can get them pardon both if you if you need. Is it worth enduring Ashcampete's nightmares to have a dog with us on the island? Hmm. It's hard to know. Or maybe I just choose someone like Agnes and have her conjure up like mystic fire to keep us warm and mystic shelter to keep us sheltered. Yeah, I'll I'll choose Agnes. She seems fun. Yeah. Those are my three. Um my book, Old Book of Law, surely. Yeah. Or that or Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia might be more practical, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Medical texts for if things get dicey. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And my item. Wow. I suppose if I'm feeling macabre about the whole thing, a gravedigger shovel for when I have to bury (laughs) them. (laughs) Yeah. The shovel could be practically useful as well. The fire axe as well, actually, to chop wood and things like that. Probably. I mean, I'm surprised you haven't gone from the machete. Oh, yeah, that's an item. Or the magnifying glass. If we can't use mystic fire, we could use the magnifying glass to make fire. That could be very practical. Although making fires, yeah, Yeah. maybe the machete is the way forwards. (gasps) Is first aid item traded? I I don't know. I don't think I was going to ask. Item science or just science? I think it's just science. Maybe against the the theme of it, but but flare? I don't think flare is an item though, is it? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Oh, no, it's, no, it's an, an event, right? Because there's an event, yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe not. A fire extinguisher, just for the fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> Machete seems up there. So what were the... Th- just just re- reminders of the investigators? So I think there? Calvin, Seth and Agnes. It's a nice gen- yeah. gender-balanced team as well. An encyclopedia for yeah. useful tips on things we need to do. An item... I think I will go for the shovel because I could probably use that to chop through some underbrush, but then also for useful digging. That's well, that's I my doubt. choices. <laughs> Your luxury is a shovel. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. Luxury, L- big air quotes there on luxury. Yeah, <laughs> I have a, another question for you, Peter. This one, you have been afforded an almost unlimited budget to commission the film of a cycle. But which cycle do you choose? Who directs it for you? And who stars in that cycle? And when I say stars, which actor is playing which investigator to play through the story of that cycle? You actually posed this 
question to me uh, yesterday, Frank, and I've been, it's been going around in my mind since. Yeah. Uh, probably heavily influenced by what I've been watching on the TV in the past 24 hours. I must admit, one of the thoughts that did occur to me, it would be fun to do Yorick in uh, The Night of the Zealot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and do like a like a, a cabin in the woods style, like an Evil Dead style splatterfest. Yeah, you know, have Sam Sam Raimi on directing it, and then cast some some old Shakespearean actor, like a Derek Jacobi or something <laughs> as Yorick. Nice, nice. Kenneth Branagh as Yorick. Oh yeah, fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> wow, that could be really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, have a bit of dark comedy. So we've got a, a serious a serious actor. Mm-hmm playing as Yorick, taking himself very seriously, but then like chopping up ghouls with a with a shovel. Nice. Yeah. I also I mean he's everywhere at the moment, but is it is it Mahashala Ali? Yeah. Who's in Green Room and um he's in the new series The True Detective. He's been in a bunch of other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's in Moonlight as well. I, t- I think he could pull off Jim as well. Yeah. But I d I don't know which which cycle to put Jim into. So my main idea was I like the idea of a path to Carcosa cycle mm-hmm. starring Pete, Ashkan Pete mm-hmm. again. Yeah. And just having it so like someone like Baron Aronofsky who directed um, Black Swan. Yeah. And Life of Pi and, and things like that. Is it Life of Pi yeah. or just Pi? Life of Pi. Uh, I can't remember. Requiem for but a the, in, Yeah. There's this like not knowing what's quite real. Mm. In, in Black Swan especially, uh, you're not quite sure what's happening. And that would tie in really well with Pete's dreams and his visions. Mm. So you were never quite sure what was real. And he just descends further into badness over the course of it. Who who plays Pete in this? Well, I mean, I originally put um, Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Just because I think a really old, weathered Hugh Jackman. I watched Logan again recently. Yeah. Um, and I think that's... I mean, he's almost playing Ashkan Pete in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that could be good fun, or or maybe like as a director, I don't know whether you watched Legion. No, I didn't. I I know that you really like that though. Yeah. I love that, and Noah Hawley, I think is his name. He also directed the Fargo TV series, which I haven't watched much of, but it's apparently very good. Again, like that's a lot more poppy, but it's you know you're not sure what's real and what isn't. I think he'd be he'd be good for doing the Path to Carcosa. So there you go. That's my answer. Sort of, it was a bit rambling. I would love like a Guillermo del Toro Danich. You know that he would oh, be so yeah. accurate with all of the details of all of the monsters and things like that. He'd be get like really into that, I think. You know, slightly yeah. in the style of like Pan's Labyrinth. Just like amazing yeah. period detail and focused. Well, he's had his name attached to this Mountains of Badness project on and off for decades. Yeah, right? for a really long time, yeah. So you yeah. know that so he's into who, who, it. Who would, who would star in that? That would be um, probably Eva Green playing Seth. Oh, yeah, okay. I think she's a decent enough likeness. And I think she's been in a Del Toro film before, although I'm not 100% sure. So, yeah. Um, I can't think. Maybe I'm talking out of my arse. But, yeah. Yeah, that's what I came to my head, yeah. Classic yeah. early days of Arkham. It's also the f- the first full Think on Your Feet series I did. So that'd be cool to see it come to life. Have Eva Green shrivel some Yidians and things like that. That'd be good. Fantastic. Right, well, do you want another question from me? Yeah, last last question, right? 
Oh, God, yeah. Actually, I've got two, and they're both good questions. Pick one or two, Frank. Good question, capital G, capital Q. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'll go with pick, two. Pick one or two. That's not the question, by the way. That was just me asking for okay. one or two. Is this the question now? Yeah. <laughs> this this is the question now okay. coming up. Are you ready for the question? Yes, I am. Great question. Here, com- here comes your question. If you could apply another IP to the Arkham Horror card game mechanics, what would it be? So, effectively, if you could reskin the game yeah. entirely... Either with like a, a a known IP or with one of your own making, yeah. what would you pick? Yeah. Oh, it's really nice. Um, hmm. I love the idea of a Netrunner game for this. I think it would be so fun. You could have the Corp being run as the encounter deck. And Can I step in for a sec, Frank? Yeah. I think you mean an Android version. An of Android Netrunner, exactly, yeah. Or, yeah. But, or not Netrunner and just go with just cyberpunk as a setting and yeah it doesn't have to be android netrunner but a sort of cyberpunky setting could be incredible i think there's that nice in that sort of setting there's the nice combination of things in the meat space and things in the digital world and you could represent all of those with different cards as the game android netrunner the card game did really well so Mm -hmm. you could have that that would be really fun i also am a huge fantasy fan so any kind of reskin that was fantasy would be cool. Or even, this is where I'd, if we were going to proper dream level cool, yeah. Gormenghast, any kind Ooh. of Mervyn Peak, like that's, I suppose, like super high gothic. And you could have yeah, all yeah. of these different scenarios set in Gormenghast. And you could have combat and things like that, but they'd also be creeping around and like lots of maybe pallid mask style procedurally generated bits of forest or bits of castle. That could be super cool. Ah, oh, that's good. I thought you might say uh, Warhammer Quest. I know you're a big fan of Warhammer yeah, Quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, there was a similar sort of Warhammer Quest card game, which was unfortunately killed in its prime. Yeah, yeah. Dwarf Fortress, the card game, <laughs> that would be... I mean, you'd need like a thousand different cards just to begin. And then some, And yeah. you'd probably lose a lot of the procedural generation, so that would be a shame. But Or maybe it would be a, a legacy game where each... each no, a unique game where each one is different. You open a box and some of you have goblins and some of you have like half badger men or whatever mad Dwarf Fortress <laughs> creation it is. Yeah. Mandrills. Yeah. Zombie mandrills. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Giant carp. Yeah. <laughs> How about, can I ask that question back to you? Do you have one that's crying out for a reskin? Uh, I mean, that's a good question. That is a good question. It's your own it's my question. question, yeah. Um, and it was, it was, if you don't mind me saying, it was fantastic. It was a really good question, yeah. Ah, uh, man, I don't know. Like, anything where you're, it suits it to like an investigation type thing. As you know, Frank, I'm running a Dark Heresy campaign. Mm, yeah. So, you know, it, something like that, a 40k investigation could be good. Any kind of noir detective type thing, I think it would, the mechanics would fit quite well for that, going to locations and finding clues. You could do like a um, an old school noir Batman thing, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Putting the real Arkham in Arkham Horror. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think there'd be something quite sexy about that. I'd love to flip the question on its head as well and think about what other rule sets would I love to see Arkham on. I think I've told you this before. I'd love to see 
an Arkham style asymmetrical game using the Netrunner rules, but with Arkham. So if you play as the Corp, you play as yeah. like a great old one, and if you play as the Runner, you play as an investigator. And being able to play asymmetrically, I think, would be really fun. So the 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 cult is trying to advance its agenda and do its little plots around Arkham and you're there as the investigator trying to kind of uncover them and stop them and that would be similar to agendas in Netrunner that idea of scoring agendas or stealing it would be like completing your rights or interrupting your rights as a way of playing yeah yeah I think that could be super fun that would be that would be really compelling because I mean you could you could retheme the ice as what's the defense in Netrunner yeah and you can retheme them. They fall along three lines. So there's code gates, barriers, and sentries. But you could easily retheme those. Instead of barriers, you've got physical barriers. Yeah. So it's like a locked door or something like that. Or a, or a cultist um, sort of blocking the way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd think stuff that was proactively hunting you could be cultists. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like shooting you. So it doesn't necessarily stop you, but they might shoot you or stab you. Yeah. And then the code gate could be an, a puzzle uh, that you know or, or something you have to decipher it could be a literal code yeah or some kind of hex or something like that as well you know some kind of arcane warding that you have to d- yes work exactly yeah. yeah and then you might find that say uh, the, the factions on the the investigator side could be would be better at different ones so mm-hmm. you know the anarchs were good at breaking barriers in the card game so maybe the anarch the anarch ones can like kick open doors and things like that yeah yeah exactly that there's like there's like a lot of scope for exploring that that area and how you would do things and yeah i think it could be really fun but uh i think it also picks up on the promise that call of cthulhu never quite delivers on the card game there where the mechanics aren't different whether or not you're playing as cthulhu faction or a bunch of professors the miskatonic faction you still play in exactly the same way and the main difference is that the cthulhu cards most of them are a lot more expensive and a lot more powerful. So normally the human factions dominate the early game and then the great old one factions dominate the late game, normally. But yeah, there wasn't enough asymmetry there to really feel like you're playing as someone different when you're playing those factions. Awesome. Well, is that is that everything? Is that all the questions? I think so, yeah. Well, I guess thank you for for another awesome year of of podcasting, Frank. Hey, right back at you. Yeah, thank you very much. And years to another at least 12 months of uh, putting this stuff together. Yeah, and a final thank you to you, the listener, because we'd probably still talk to each other, me and Peter, if you didn't exist. But the whole point of us making a podcast is for you, other people. And if you've taken the time to speak to us, or even just more importantly, to download and listen to the podcast, that means so much to us. There's really, it's quite hard to put in words how great it is to create something and then to actually find out what people think about it and have it well received and yeah, we appreciate all of the messages of support, of encouragement, all of the discussion that the episodes have prompted. So thanks so much for that. And hopefully there'll be another year of that to come. And speaking of which, if you want to get in touch, we're a drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. You can find our event, Arkham in Flames, on Eventbrite and in the description of this episode. We're also drawn to the flame on Facebook and Twitter. And we're drawn to the flame on Patreon. And if you've enjoyed listening to us for two years and want to get more involved in the podcast, that's a way you can do that. Thanks. Oh, (laughs) Peter, how can people get in touch with you? (laughs) Uh, Very professional, Frank. Thank Uh, you. 
I am Unitled everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I am on Twitter and uh, Reddit and Discord. How about you, Frank? I'm FB on Twitter. Come and say hello and talk to me about mental health and card games and things like that. And I'm Zooey Glass or Zozo around the place. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Great. Hang on, I just need to stop recording. Yeah, and if it's not, fuck them. Oh, that's recorded, so you, you can't leave that in.